Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I'm Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And it's time for another female first, which means we are once again joined by our good friend, the wonderful, the amazing Eve. <laughs> and today, Eve. very hey. glowing. Yeah. Yes. Like a beacon of hope. <laughs> My goodness. It's good yes. to be here again, <laughs> yeah. per usual. Yes, always good to have you. Anything interesting going on, Eves? Anything of note? Uh, anything you're looking forward to? Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> Is it okay to say I don't know? <laughs> I don't know. I'm yes. trying to be more comfortable with saying I don't know, and I definitely don't. I don't know. I think things that's... are pretty. I feel good. Things are at level. Mm-hmm. I'm learning every day <laughs> something new, so I feel mm-hmm. like that's always a good thing. Um, yeah, but yeah, nothing. I don't have much to report. You know, what I say <laughs> that is one of the things that I admire about you as where I just sit. You continue to do new things, learn new things, uh, do things to find yourself that I'm like, man, you are really motivated. And I feel like you <laughs> used your time wisely. Maybe I'm uh, projecting because I'm like, I want to be like Eves. Why Aww. can't I be like Eves? <laughs> it's very sweet of you to think that I have everything together, but that is definitely not the case. <laughs> Maybe. But like you at least like exploring whether it's like, you know, relearning meditation or watching movies that I like, we recommend something. You're like, I'll watch it. And you actually follow through. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I think you might be selling yourself a little short because I think one reason that we do this is because our of our never ending curiosity. Like you have to have a level of like staying curious about the world and learning new things to be able to delve as deep into research and such precarious and intricate topics as you do. You know, and again, I'm very impressed by the people that you bring to us because it is the people, the women that we never heard of and or have been neglected for so long and that you can do these deep dives has been also impressive and that you're doing the work for us. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
Yes. I'm Happy always impressed share. too. I was I was thinking about that. I was like, how does Eve always find these amazing yeah. stories I've never heard? <laughs> well, you know, the world is a vast pit of information <laughs> and overpopulation notwithstanding. <laughs> people are always being born and there are a lot of stories True. to tell. I mean, that makes me really excited um, and right. really puts things into perspective to just know how many small universes have been created that we are able to tap into because we have such a, a wealth of information at our fingertips. There is a talent to being able to research and research well. and Because I have discovered I'm at the very cusp of like trying to figure it out when we try to find, you know, women around the world, uh, that series and finding uh, women and activists who are doing great things that we don't talk about or talk enough about. But it's still like hard to actually figure out where to even start half the time. Yeah. So I'm I'm discovering that it is a lot. It takes a bit of talent and, of course, a lot of uh, practice. But, like, all of those things come together to find uh, good research. So kudos. Yeah. Thank you. Again. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I love our, because it's early morning. I feel like we're starting off with a warm virtual hug. I know. Oh, oh, look at that. <laughs> Yeah, but we have to have some, like it's it's honestly just the moments to really appreciate because when you really think down down deep into it, and you're like, wow, this is kind of amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, I'm done. I'm done with my squishy, gushy stuff. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> We're such Eve's fangirls. <laughs> to be fair, yes, yes. Ooh, I'll take it. Anything, yes. anything. I'll take it all. Perfect, perfect. Well, uh, speaking of amazing stories and small universes, I love how you put it like that. Um, who did you bring for us today, Eve? Today, we are going to be talking about Mabel Ping Hua Lee. So she was a Chinese-American women's rights activist, and she was involved in the suffragist space. Um, and it said that she was the first Chinese woman to get a doctorate in economics from Columbia University. Yeah. And she has an amazing story, an amazing story with so many like historical threads and contexts and nuance throughout. Uh, so very, very excited uh, to get into this one. Yeah, me too. Uh, so let's start. She was born around 1896 in Guangzhou, China. And in China, she learned English at a missionary school. She lived with her mother and her grandmother. Her mother's name was Lai Beck, and she was part of the upper class in Guangzhou. Her father, Li To, which is spelled some different ways in the records, like spelled T-O or T-O-W-E, but he was a missionary in the U.S. He has his own story of coming over to the United States and being involved in the Christian church here. And Mabel Lee moved to the United States in the early 1900s. There are some conflicting dates given in a lot of parts of her history, but she was there by 1905. And after her father had, that was after her father had already been in the United States for years. So she spent some time in California and Washington State, and they eventually settled in Chinatown in New York City. The Lee family was part of a movement of Chinese people from the West Coast to the East Coast as opportunities for work decreased and anti-Chinese violence increased in the West. So it's not as if like anti-Chinese violence wasn't just concentrated in the West. I don't want to make it seem like there 
were only instances of that in a specific place. Because I think we like to compartmentalize regions in the United States as if certain things only happen in certain places. Right. Like racism only happened in the South and didn't happen in the North. And I don't don't want right. to um, make it seem like that's what I'm saying here. It's just that, that there was some movement from the West to the East. I would also like to take this moment to talk about some of the context around immigration um, that was happening with Chinese people who migrated from China to the United States and also some that came after generations that came after that were born here in the United States from people who were migrants from China. So I think that we might have talked about this, the Chinese Exclusion Act before in Female First, and mm-hmm. I'm sure that y'all have mentioned it before otherwise. Um, we did. I remember we did the episode on Afang Moi, the quote unquote mm-hmm. first Chinese lady. So we might have talked about it before, but of course, it's worthwhile bringing it up again here because that policy is super relevant because it right. it, it was active for many years, many decades, which mm-hmm. is like so hard to mm-hmm. believe how recent this history is, but really puts a lot of things into perspective. But Congress approved the Chinese Exclusion Act in May of 1882, uh, which banned Chinese laborers from migrating to the United States for 10 years. So as it goes with law, there are so many more rules that go into that, so many more asterisks. The act was later extended, even though it was initially supposed to be imposed for 10 years, and then it was made permanent until the act was repealed in 1943 with the Magnuson Act. And even then, it wasn't like a full repeal. There was a quota for Chinese immigrants that was set to 105 people. So there were people who were exempt from those rules, like diplomats, teachers, students and merchants who were allowed to migrate, but they also had to have certification stating that they were qualified to immigrate, which has its own layer of issues. There are stories about people who were affected by the Chinese Exclusion Act who had to go through these these layers of questioning and having to qualify your personal existence and why you're worthy of being in a space and just imagine how mentally, emotionally how impactful that is on a person. Mm -hmm. So that's another layer to delve into. Um, But that is something that did come up in Mabel Lee's life and obviously so many other people um, that were affected by the Chinese Exclusion Act. You'll see it in some of her papers um, and her having to leave the country and come back into the United States because there were rules around how a person could re-enter if they were a Chinese migrant trying to leave the country and then come back. Not as if we're unfamiliar with issues around migration right now in the United States, but Mm -hmm. this was the case in her story as well. So this law was enacted for many, many reasons. There are many layers to it. It was stoked by things like fear, racism, anti-Chinese animosity, economic insecurity. So yes, there are a lot of factors that go into the reason, but this is what was a part of Mabel Lee's life as she was moving to the United States. Immigration from China was extremely limited during the period under the Exclusion Act. And the people who were already here, even before the Exclusion Act um, was implemented, were also facing violence from people who had anti-Chinese sentiment. Yes, so, so Lee and her family were able to migrate here, but she was one of few, there weren't that many other people there at the time who were able to make that happen. But so when she settled in New York, she went to Erasmus Hall High School, which was a public school in Brooklyn. 
And of course, people in the United States had their eyes on international efforts for suffrage. So that included China, where there was a revolution in 1911. And people in China have been organizing for decades for women's suffrage. So I think it's really easy to get into a bubble and think about what's happening here in the United States. And we've talked about women's suffrage in the United States before. But there were also efforts in China. And leading up to the revolution, women's suffrage activists opposed the Qing monarchy, which was overthrown in 1911. And they supported the equality of genders. And we're talking about things like advocating for more political participation for women. And they didn't quite get this in the newly formed Republic of China immediately. But women suffragists in China did remain vigilant in their activism. So because so many white Americans' views of Chinese folks were anchored in this racism and xenophobia and ignorance, the four movement of enfranchisement wasn't a good look for the supposedly moral upstanding. These are not my words, but like how the view of from white Americans perspective was of the other, specifically for Chinese people in this situation is like, we're more civilized. We have all our stuff going on. We have more of this forward movement. We're more progressive. And they were seen as more lowly by a lot. They, when I say they, I mean like Chinese people. Um, for, for people in China, of course, were exoticized, were viewed as the other, were seen as more lowly, and all the other various stereotypes and things that were, and, and views that were bred out of racism that it came from white American perspective. Um, so the fact that there was movement when it came to suffrage and enfranchisement for people in China who were supposed to be this less, quote unquote, lesser version of people was something that didn't look so great to a lot of white Americans who were invested in suffrage. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling 
is choosing the right travel partner. Jean! Eugene Fodor! Jean, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jean, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So white suffragists looked to Chinese suffragists in the U.S. to learn more about efforts in China and also efforts about education in China, because that was also something that women were trying to have for movement on in the United States. In April of 1912, Mabel and her parents, along with other Chinese people in the community, met with white activists who wanted more insight on the situation. But it's interesting because if you read, there was a lot of reporting about Mabel and things that were happening in the suffrage space in New York when Mabel was active. And in this situation of the meeting with parents, it's positioned in a way where it seems like the white women who were involved, even though the woman who kind of brought this meeting together says that I'm not really the suffragist kind, but I figured it could be good to talk to Chinese people about these issues that are affecting them while they're here in the U.S., issues around education and around women's rights and suffrage. Yeah, so at this meeting, Mabel Lee spoke of her support for gender equality and education for girls and suffrage. And she was still young, so she started all of this when she was a teenager. She became known as a person who had good oratory skills and who was invested in bringing women's rights to the forefront as a teenager. So this is while she was in high school. She was featured in a couple of New York Tribune articles in April of 1912, around that same time. And one was called Chinese Girl Once Vote. So she was positioned as a, quote, symbol of the new era when all their women will be free and unhampered. That was a quote from that New York Tribune article. And by their women, they are referring to Chinese women. And then there was another article that month in the New York Tribune called Chinatown Awakens, in which she was called the, quote, progressive Mabel Lee. She was also, some sentences later, called a hopeless little suffragette, suffragette in itself already being a, a derogatory terminology for someone who was invested in suffrage. So there was, I think we definitely talked about this a lot before because y'all know I love bringing quotes, but how steeped in the languages in um, the racism of the day, the views toward Chinese people. And yeah, so you can delve into that and in reading that entire article. It's just funny to me because there is a huge contrast between the uplift of who Mabel Lee was, acknowledging that she was progressive, acknowledging that she was helping the white people in this instance learn more about her culture, learn more about the knowledge that she had. So they were coming to her for assistance, but at the same time, using language that uh, 
showed how they viewed Mabel and other Chinese people as inferior. <laughs> so it's a huge cognitive dissonance happening. And then also there was all of the other things that are just outdated language that we would uh, no longer use at all because we know that it's just, it's steeped in stereotyping and things like that. So yeah, it's just interesting to see the contrast and the dissonance happening there. But either way, there were a bunch of articles that came out on her and it wasn't just in New York. There were articles around the nation who picked up stories on what was happening. And soon after the meeting that I spoke about earlier in May of 1912, on May 4th, she was involved in a suffrage parade. And there were also articles about this leading up to the time and some of the fanfare and excitement that was happening and looking forward to this parade. Newspapers around the country printed headlines that were highlighting Lee's involvement in the parade. There was a bunch of hoopla over how she was riding in on horseback and she was leading the initial cavalcade that was bringing in this 10,000 people for the parade. The newspapers were specifically calling out the fact that she was Chinese as if it were some sort of party trick. <laughs> um, oh, she yeah. rode on horseback and and there's a picture of her on horseback as well that you can go and look at but her speaking skills were praised and her activism at the time connected her to other activists who were in the space but she was still going through her own educational process she was the only chinese student in her class when she graduated from high school and she began attending barnard college which is a women's college in new york city you can see a lot of her consciousness developing at this time, although she already had it. As an aside, you'll see a lot of the articles talk about how her mother's feet were bound and try to kind of position her mother as a, a symbol of the old while her daughter, Mabel Lee, is a symbol of the new, saying, well, her mom came from this, but she still supports suffrage. Look at that. Wow. While Mabel Lee is an example of the this new age of people coming up in a contrast to the tradition of what her mom supposedly represented. But either way, she was involved in a lot of clubs and activism during her time in college as well. She was in the YWCA, the Young Women's Christian Association. And she sometimes spoke about Chinese culture and history for the organization. And during her time at Barnard, she wrote a speech called China's Submerged Half, which I just love that name for like some reason. I don't know. It's just something about the word submerged that I find really <laughs> like it just draws me into like, I wonder what this is going to be about. I feel like that's really <laughs> that's a really interesting way to title something. Anyway, that's my <laughs> weirdness about words <laughs> aside. Um, I have a quote from it. She said, China's submerged half has begun to emerge. And when you recall that a battalion of Chinese young women was organized and drilled for service in the late revolution, and that a militant woman suffragist used violence toward a deputy of the Nanking Assembly for refusing the vote for woman suffrage, you will agree with me that a part of that half has emerged with a vengeance. And yes. I love that. Um, <laughs> so um, I think the reason, going back to words, I love submerged half because when she says submerged half, she's referring to women. And I think a lot of the time it's a, a difficulty for me to position things from a way in which 
self-identifying as the inferior, because I think that's what the word submerged can do. It implies that that we're starting from a negative space. It's like you're immediately positioning yourself with negativity in the situation. But I think she flips that on its head where it's like, okay, we're submerged, but we're working with so much. You know, there is vengeance that's happening. It's not, it's not coming from, she's not coming from a meek position, a position in which she feels like she's incapable. Um, so she celebrated progress in terms of things that Chinese women were doing, like establishing newspapers in that speech. But she noted that a lot of things were being said in theory and not done in practice, and that rendering justice was urgent, and that she and other girls would have the duties of pioneers. Um, so she considered herself a feminist, and she became part of feminist discussions that were happening on campus through groups like the Feminist Forum, and she joined the debate club. She was also part of the Chinese Students Club at Columbia, which was associated with the Chinese Students Alliance, in which over the years she held many positions in during her time in college. So one wonders when she had the time to do anything mm -hmm. um, because she definitely seems like she was involved in a lot. But while she was at Bernard, she wrote for the Chinese Students Monthly, which was the national magazine for the Alliance. And the first article she published for it was in June of 1914, which was the meaning of woman's suffrage. In August of 1914, she went to the CSA's Eastern Conference and competed in an oratorical contest. So she made a lot of friends during her time who were also activists and was heavily involved in the student community. She got a bachelor's degree from Barnard in 1916, and where she majored in history and philosophy. And she continued on her educational track when she was accepted into the PhD program in the Department of Political Science and Philosophy at Columbia University. She got a scholarship to go there, and that was around the time that the graduate school there had began to admit some, albeit a small number of women, into their doctoral programs. During her time at Columbia, she remained active in the Chinese Students Alliance, and she worked with Dr. Vladimir Simkovich, who had become her mentor and her dissertation advisor. And he encouraged her to study historical Chinese agricultural policy. <laughs> her dissertation was entitled The Economic History of China with Special Reference to Agriculture, which is available to read online if you're interested in such a sort of thing. Yes, yeah, so she advocated for a balance between the old and the new, the traditional and the modern, which makes a lot of sense for her. And to not just cast aside what was done in the past as useless. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. 
Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In 1917, Mabel also participated in another suffrage parade as part of the Women's Political Equality League. And it was that same year that New York State did enfranchise women But Mabel, as a Chinese immigrant, still could not vote. In 1921, that was the year she got her first. So she became the first Chinese woman to get a PhD from Columbia University. So a path after around this time for moving forward in career was often to go back to teach. But finding employment was difficult for Mabel During her life, she did plan to return to China to live, to bring back what she learned, um, as she didn't have a path to citizenship. It was a path for a lot of women to choose to go back to China to work. But Mabel herself never went back permanently to China, even though she did have some visits in her later years. Her plans, as plans tend to do, didn't go completely as she expected She continued working at Columbia, and then she did go to study in Europe, but she had to make arrangements when she went out of the country, as we spoke about earlier, what immigrants had to do when it came to re-entry into the U.S., had to 
qualify their reasoning for coming back to the United States and that they were able to do so. And there are papers documenting her process of that. She planned on setting up a business importing Chinese herbal medicine, but her father died in November of 1924, and she decided to go and continue his work. She decided to start working for the church, and she became director of her father's mission in New York City and started the process of making it her own. The church building was rented, so she raised funds and had a new church built at 21 Pell Street. And a friend of hers, after she was involved in that for many, many years, suggested that she go back to her intellectual interest, um, but she remained invested in the church. She went back to China a few times in the 1920s and the 30s. And... But like I said earlier, she never did move back there permanently. Um, But some Chinese women were enfranchised and able to vote in 1943 when the Magnuson Act passed. But that still didn't extend to all Chinese women. Um, The Immigration and Nationality Act of 1952 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965 did further that process along and moved the needle on voting rights for Chinese Americans Though that didn't solve everything because U.S. citizens who were of Asian descent still face discrimination in voting today. But there were no records of Lee herself naturalizing, and it's also not known whether she ever voted in in the United States. And she died in 1966 in New York City. Yeah, this story is so amazing. And I love learning about um, feminism in other countries and just the history of feminism in other places because kind of like what you were saying earlier, Samantha, with our problem of finding, doing the research around women around the world is a lot of our searches are very like American, like not even English, but like very American centered. So it's, I really liked learning about this in the context you brought about what was going on in China when it came to suffrage and um, feminism. And yeah, this was just, she really, really did so much and she has so much writing. Um, and as someone who writes, I I really enjoyed <laughs> reading some of the stuff that she did and I was like impressed. And then, yeah, I'm, I too am a word nerd, Eve. So I liked <laughs> yeah. a lot of the words that she, she used yeah. and I thought she used them so effectively. Right. I think uh, the, the line that you read from her uh, really made me think of like superheroes where they, you know, punch their way through out of a situation where they're, they're like uh, under debris and have to fly out of that situation. Essentially like that kind of came into mind um, because yeah, that definitely painted a picture uh, with her words, and it was beautifully said, and also very inspiring. It's kind of like, yeah, absolutely, we can definitely emerge with vengeance. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's the word vengeance. <laughs> the association with Batman yes. happening there. <laughs> I just watched that last night, <laughs> so it's fresh on my mind. Yeah, <laughs> she's all about vengeance right now. <laughs> but yeah, and even the history of the Chinese Exclusionary Act and what it held and, and the discussion as of late about uh, Asian hate in general, there's a lot of context that really just kind of bring it back around of what she possibly went through and trying to understand what it was because a part of the comments and conversations within those acts actually has to do with a lot of sexism and fetishism of Asian women in general and this whole idea 
uh, and the beginning of uh, the exoticism of Asian women. So you have to wonder as she was coming here, especially with a missionary from China. There's so many flips to that uh, that I have in my head because as a person who used to be in the religious Christian, Western Christian world, we had all of those stories about missionaries going to China and what that looked like. And of course, coming back around to be like, oh, that's, there's some problematic things with that. But then having that flipped is a different conversation. You really, I really wonder what her background looked like, but then pushing forward with her uh, being an advocate and a suffragist when it really wasn't necessarily just for her. It was the beginning building blocks to actually build up to what she had hoped for a better world when it comes to voting rights, when it comes to women's rights. But, you know, it's really interesting. And I have so many questions that obviously I'm going to have to research about her life. Yeah. And there is still history of her that exists in public for us to be able to experience. Her Chinese Exclusion Act case file is in the National Archives in New York City. And the post office in Chinatown was dedicated to her in 2018. It's called the Mabel Lee Memorial Post Office now. Her work has been acknowledged in the city, and that's always a good thing. Yes, that's good to hear. And and like I said, I'm always so happy that you bring stories because I hadn't heard of her. And it's uh, I love that there's a information. If you want to know more, there is stuff that you can find online. So that's always nice. <laughs> Right. And I will say as an Asian woman, like I'm not Chinese. I am absolutely Korean. But, you know, in my mind, I'm like, my uh, family name is Lee. So there may be a connection. Not really, but we know. (laughs) But it is something to see. Like, it is nice to see representation like that at a time uh, that I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, it makes me sad that I didn't know her history. And I really wish I had been able to see that as someone that could have been influential. Be like, wow, here's someone who at least looked like me a little bit, even though we're not the same ethnicity, that is an inspiration to what has happened and was a part of history and making history happen and continuing to fight in that and being a representative. It's, it's nice to see. And I'm so excited that you were able to uh, bring that to us because I honestly had no idea about her and I feel really shame. <laughs> ashamed that I didn't know anything about her. Don't feel ashamed. <laughs> it's, I mean... It's not a bad thing to not know about everybody in the world. And it's (laughs) a good thing that we are able to access this information now. So, yeah, I hope that other people as well um, learn something from her story and are able to dig a little bit deeper into it and learn more in general about the history of Chinese Americans in the United States and about who was involved in, in the breadth and expansiveness of who was involved in enfranchisement and and the work that people did for gaining more rights and self-advocacy in in the United States. Yes. So well said as always, Eves. Um <laughs> is there anything else to add before we wrap up here? No, that's all I got today. Well, thanks as always for joining us and bringing us these amazing stories. Uh, where can the good listeners find you? Y'all can find me online on Instagram at not apologizing. You can also find me on Twitter at Eve's Jeffco, and you can find more of my work at evesjeffco.com. 
Ooh, yes. And here on Sminty, <laughs> many, many, many yes. more episodes, dozens, right? Dozens of episodes. <laughs> oh, I think we're approaching 50. That's what I'm saying, because I want another celebration. He's <laughs> <laughs> a good one, yeah. So many more episodes of Female First where you can learn about other people in history who did things that were super important and super meaningful in various histories around the world. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. We always love these episodes. So please check them out if you've somehow missed them, listeners. And if you'd like to contact us, you can. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I've never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.